You're going to want to open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3. There's two sections in 1 Peter that are larger in his overall context of the 20-some times he uses the word suffering in this little book of five chapters. And so we're going to look at, I kind of coupled the two together. Last week we covered the one in chapter 3. This morning we're going to cover the one in chapter 4. But again, I am amazed at how rev- relevant the Word of God is to our need and to our lives that we will experience suffering and difficulty while we walk this journey. And if you're not experiencing it now, you probably have, or you pro- and you certainly will in your future. And so Peter, as a shepherd, he loves these people he's writing to. And he's one who wants to provide, as a shepherd, he wants to provide protection and care and direction for these people that he loves. So in that section in, in chapter 3, Verse 12, he said, who's going to harm you if if you're eager to do what is right? And he goes on to talk to them about suffering. I want you to look over across the page at chapter 4, verse 12, where he starts out again. Listen to what he says. Dear friends, or this word is not just friends alone, but it's also the word for beloved. That he cares deeply for these people he's writing to. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the trials or the suffering or the fiery ordeal that you are facing, that you are going through as if something strange was happening. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear the name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. So he's addressing people, dear friends, loved ones, beloved, people that he cares about, people he knows about their life. And he apparently loves them in such a way that he wants to tell them the truth to help them understand the perspective that will carry them through what he knows they're going to go through, suffering in its various forms, in its many ways. And he wants them to have a solid and sound perspective on suffering. And you need to ask yourself today, do I have a sound and solid biblical perspective on suffering? And if I do not have a sound biblical perspective on suffering, I'm already hurting worse than I need to be. And in the future, as I face more suffering, I will be hurting worse than I need to be. And so he's writing to them because he loves them and because he loves God. 
And because he has a responsibility to tell them the truth, the truth that will be helpful, the truth that will enable them to and strengthen them for what's coming, for what they're going through, and so that through it and in it, they can worship God. And they can find the strength and the hope they need in the midst of the crisis that's sure to come. Now, when he writes this in the Greek, this word, we're going to unpack it in a second. But it's the word for fiery ordeal. A fiery ordeal. Now, it could mean exactly what's happening in the culture at the time in about AD 64. When Rome burned for six to nine days and the whole city was burned. And history doesn't know exactly how the fire started, who started the fire, but the emperor there used the fire because he loved to build. And he thought, well, I can rebuild the city the way I want it to be built. I can rebuild Rome. So he said, let her burn. And then because there was all kinds of problems with the people saying, why didn't you stop the fire? He said, well, the Christians did it. And it's, it opened up a 200-year reign of terror in that section of history where the Christians were persecuted, tortured, until um, that suffering was ended by an edict of Milan. And we'll find out about that in another time of history. But uh, 200 years they suffered. And so suffering's been going on and off since the beginning of time, since day one in the garden when men broke trust. And Cain murdered his brother. But in the general picture, we step back. Look at verse 12. Do not be surprised. And there's going to be there, uh, and a big picture. I loved what... Uh, um, Brandon said to me the other day to remind himself too that you're looking at things sometimes from a 30,000 foot perspective. You step back away so you can get a little bit, get, a, get rid of the powerful emotions that are controlling the situation. Step back and look and say, hey, here's the big picture of what Peter's saying. Don't be surprised at suffering. And then verse 15, if you suffer for wrong, listen, we live in a world where choices have consequences. Bad choices have bad consequences as a general rule. Good choices have good consequences as a general rule. From a 30,000 foot perspective, that's what we're looking at. Suffering is it's a part of this world. It will happen. It'll happen in your life and the life of the people you love. Suffering is don't be shocked. Don't be surprised. And then if you're suffering for doing wrong, understand there's consequences for choices. And you can be thankful that there's consequences for choices. Because if there's no consequences for choices, then your choices mean nothing your good or bad choices. So you can be very thankful that there's consequences for choices. And then in verse 16, if you suffer as a Christian, that's very seldom and that's very specific. 
And it, we need to unpack in our own personal lives as individuals. Maybe I begin to think, and I get this complex, oh, I'm a Christian, and every time suffering comes up, oh, it's because I'm a Christian, it's because I'm a good person. That might be hogwash. He says, if you suffer as a Christian, and indeed Jesus himself said, blessed are those who are persecuted, and there will be definitely times, and there has been times throughout history that Christians have suffered, but it's seldom and it's specific. If you suffer for being a Christian, if you suffer for doing what is right. So you got to flesh that out in your own understanding. You need to evaluate your suffering. If you're suffering for poor choices, make different ones. If you're suffering for poor choices, make different choices. Learn, repent, go the other way. Agree with God that you're a sinner and make different choices. And so if you're suffering as a Christian, it says several times in Scripture, you are blessed. And God will speak through you in your suffering. And it says, then the glory of God will be revealed. And lastly, in verse 19, it says, if you suffer according to God's will. Now, I'm still trying to understand what exactly that means in the big picture. As I stand back from 30,000 feet, if I suffer according to God's will, for, for his glory, for doing what is right, for personal development and growth, for being an example for other people like Jesus was, he is our example. So we're going to spend some time with this section of scripture trying to unpack this and go through these verses and connecting them throughout the book at least 16 specific times he uses the word suffering and probably 21 times overall in general in five short chapters. And so when you think about how relevant the word of God is to your life today, where, you're, where are you going to go to find help to deal with the reality of life? It's the word of God. It's the, whole, the person of the Holy Spirit as he walks us through the life that we're living. Let me read uh, from the Amplified Version, this verse 12. Beloved, do not be amazed or bewildered at the fiery ordeal which is taking place to test your quality. As though something strange were befalling you. This is tremendous comfort in that. It's like when your kid goes out to play with a uh, grasshopper in the garden and a rattlesnake, not a rattlesnake, a gardener snake comes out and bites him. He comes running in the house. That snake bit me. And you're like going, yeah, snakes bite. What what'd you do to him? <laughs> Will you antagonize him? Snakes bite. Yeah, he wanted the grasshopper more than you did. So, but the idea is not to be surprised, not to be shocked. And if we are surprised and we are shocked, it's a wake-up call to our sense of entitlement. And whatever wrong ideas we might have about what suffering is and the purpose of suffering and who will suffer, who won't suffer, Scripture tells us God doesn't show favoritism. Here's another version of the same verse from uh, West. It says, divinely loved ones, loved by God, stop thinking that something other than the smelting process, which is in operation among you and which has come to you for the purpose of testing you, 
is a thing alien to you. Stop thinking that it's alien, that there would be pressure to move you, to form you, to shape you into the image of Christ. Do not be surprised. This is information. The word surprise, there's a simple definition. Information that not previously known. Unheard of, unfamiliar. It means to experience a sudden feeling of unexpected wonder, surprise, or astonishment. To be shocked. Now, surprise can be a wonderful thing. But here, Peter's referring not to the delight of surprise, but the disillusionment of surprise. You know, parents, tell your kids. Tell your kids about World War I. Tell them about World War II. Tell them about Auschwitz. Tell them about slavery. Tell them the truth. You don't have to tell them all at one night. But let them know that this world is a dark place. So that when they get their toe stubbed in the nighttime, it's not so shocking to them. And they can deal with reality better. And it's a preparation. Don't be so freaked out. Don't be caught off guard. It's like your first flat tire. Come on. We should be more surprised that they go 50,000 miles. Right? When you're living in this community and a huge storm goes, comes along and the electricity goes out. Don't be so shocked. We should be shocked that it stays on all the time. And there's people diligently working at it. So that's what Peter's trying to help them understand. Listen, some of this is normal. Some of this is part of the world we live in. Why is this happening to me? Why not? Christians are not immune from suffering. Christians get cancer. Christians have car trouble. Christians get fired. Christians have heart attacks. Christians have relational problems. That's not surprising. If it's surprising, we have misconceptions about reality that need to be cleared up. And so Peter wants to do that for us. That's why Peter's writing to these people. Jesus himself said, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. We're shocked when our Christian bubble wrap is broken. We're shocked when our Christian bubble wrap is penetrated. People can be mean. Circumstances can be harsh. The knife cuts. The fall hurts. The infection rages. The insults burn. The misunderstanding of my motive. They judge me falsely. Do not be surprised means you can expect trouble. I just, for me, in my naivete, that just gives me comfort. And I'm still trying to figure out why that gives me comfort, but I think I've somehow drank the Kool-Aid too. That, you know what? You're a pastor. You couldn't have any problems. You're, you're, yeah. So the, uh, the idea is there's such a thing as Christian entitlement too, that, uh, and it smells just as bad as any other type of entitlement. And so Peter could be writing specifically about the fire in AD 64. But he could be writing in a general sense of they're being kicked out of their homes. They're aliens and strangers. He calls them that several times. So this painful, fiery ordeal 
It means ignition or smelting or burning. And it's interpreted as the word testing. Let me just unpack this a little bit. Okay, the word testing, is a, it, it's the same word here, the same idea. It's to make trial of, try, tempt, to prove in a good or bad sense. It describes the idea of putting to the test, the pressure or the test to show the nature and substance of a person, place, or thing. It's the Greek word. In the NAS version, it's used over 20 times. Listen to this, these, um, um, the different uses of the word. Temptation, 12 times. Testing, two times. Trials, four times. Trial, three times. So the context helps understand the best use and fits the meaning the author had intended. In, the, in another version, uh, the same word, Tempted 11 times, tested eight times, test seven, examined once. So the word is parasmas. It's a neutral word describing a test or a trial, but with no negative connotation. This is the amazing thing about it. We sometimes imply the connotation. Oh, my tire went flat. God's against me. Oh, you know what? Something bad happened at work. These people must be against me. So whether it proves to be positive or negative, the pressure, the suffering, the trial, depends on the nature of the person, place, and thing. It displays the nature and the substance of the person, place, or thing. For example, which of these items... Um, I was going to have a table set up here and I was going to have some items on the table. So you imagine with me, okay? I have a table up here and I have some, I have some, um, items on the table, a paper, a pencil, plastic, glass, metal, and stone. Okay. Paper, pencil, plastic, glass, metal, or stone. And we're going to light a match. You can see between the paper and the stone, there's going to be different reactions to the pressure of the fire, right? Different reactions to the heat. And what would it prove? It would prove that paper can't withstand fire like a rock can. Plastic can't withstand fire like glass can. A certain degree of heat used on the right material will improve it and demonstrate its quality. Purified gold, developed people. Now, it's yet to be seen what all of us will become. We're becoming through trial, through the journey, through the testing, through the opportunity. And I've said this before, but the word crisis in Chinese is the same word as opportunity. Think about that. Matter of perspective. I have a note here to self uh, when I thought about this statement. A certain degree of heat used on the right material will improve and demonstrate quality. And then you think about people in your life who are going through it right now. You think about your life. How did you react to pressure? Me, I often whine. 
I'm trying to gain perspective. I'm trying to understand the biblical perspective of suffering so I can see what Peter already wrote in chapter 1. Do you remember that in chapter 1? I think it's about verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice, though for now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. But these have come so that the testing of your faith, which is greater worth than gold, will prove genuine. Who doesn't want a genuine faith? Well, if your intention is to be fake, then you don't want a genuine faith. But it faith. But if your intention is to be full grown, fully developed, mature person, bring it on. That's the biblical concept. Bring it on. Because we have a God who stands before us. He stands behind us. He dwells within us. He will see us through as we keep our eyes fixed on him. That's what Peter's telling him. So there's three general categories of the meaning of this word, parazo. It's to examine to submit to a test, to learn the true nature of the character. And I have a couple verses, uh, Tim, so you're on now. 1 Corinthians 13.5. And I'm going to try to how to learn this too. So 1 Corinthians 13.5. So this is to examine or to submit to a test. And you know what? Teachers are doing this all the time. Are you not? You're submitting your children, the students, to tests not so that you can destroy them, but that you can let them know they're ready for the next step. They're ready for the next test. Um, can you small that down a little bit so it's all on the screen? Okay. First Corinthians 13. Let me see if I got... Oh, sorry. You did right. I did wrong. It's Second Corinthians 13.5. That's the love chapter. I'm looking at the... 1 Corinthians 13, 5. 1 Corinthians 13, 5. Examine yourselves. That same word examine is the same word test. That means you examine yourself. How'd you do the last time you got your toe stubbed? How'd you do the last time somebody changed your schedule? How did you do the last time you were under one of these many different types of pressure? What did it show you of yourself? What did it show you of your lack? And what did it show you of your need? You know, Tom, you had made such a beautiful statement. You said that through the suffering of cancer that you and Sandy had just gone through, you said that basically, here's what I understood you to say, the pressure from the outside showed us that there was something greater lacking in our souls than lacking in our bodies. It's tremendously beautiful. It's tremendously powerful. It's tremendously liberating to recognize that in the midst of this thing, we need to examine ourselves to see whether or not you're in the faith. And basically, that just means if you have a correct perspective of reality, if you're dealing with reality, because reality is truth and truth is what God made it. And it lines up with reality. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation. Same word. No suffering, no pressure, no fiery ordeal, no test has overtaken you that is not common to man. And I can hear myself going, well, wait a minute. I'm certainly going under more pressure than other people because... The, 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 the. No, 
No temptation has overtaken you that is not common. And somewhere, someday, every day, out there, people are going through it, and they're going through it, and their character's being proved as worthy of the test or displayed as not worthy of the test. So that just leaves them with more opportunity to grow. So the, the second use of this word is to try to trap through the process of testing. And this is in like Matthew chapter 4, where it said the spirit led Jesus into the desert and the devil came to test him. Testing to trap. And the third use of this word is to sift through to find gold. To sift through to find the makeup and the character and the nature. And I was thinking, boy, as a parent, you would want to be, you would want to be doing this all the time with your children. Growing them up and giving them opportunity to display what they're made of. And to give them opportunity to fail in a place of grace. Give them opportunity to fail in a place of encouragement. So when they do fail, they come home and they are home. They have a place where they're going to be nurtured and nourished and say, listen, failing is a part of life. What are you going to do about it? How are you going to handle that? And move forward. So there's a time of sifting. I think about Romans chapter 5. I think about 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I think about other places in Scripture where it teaches us to have a biblical perspective about suffering. Temptation says this. Do this pleasant thing. Do not be concerned that it's wrong. Testing, same word, temptation, test. Testing says do this virtuous thing. Do not be concerned how hard it is. See the difference? The devil tempts us to destroy us. God tests us to display us. You can go all the way back in the Old Testament and you can see the same idea. God testing to see where people were at so that they would know and so that they could grow. Character is revealed often by what we do in secret under pressure. Uh, Tim, Romans 8.18. Romans 8.18. This is another whole section. Listen to this verse. I consider that the present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. So the pressure... Just like if we have these, the paper, the pencil, the plastic, the glass, and the rock. When you're young enough, you wouldn't know how testing, how a fire would affect each of those pieces of material. But you learn in time, wow, the paper's not going to handle this heat like the rock would. So let's send somebody who's ready to handle that particular pressure and let's train the others. We, we are growing up. We're all growing up. So trials are inescapable, indisputable part of this life. But God's word, God's character, his sovereignty and his power, he assures us that he's got this. 
He's got you and he's got this. For the believer, suffering is our refining and proving of our faith. The development of our faith. That doesn't mean it's easy. That doesn't mean it's comfortable. It means that's what it is. The development of trust. The development of humility and love. The development of sound and lasting character. Joseph, um, his name is spelled T-S-O-N. Pastor in Romania in the 70s. So Joseph Tyson, I would say. A Romanian pastor. He served at a time when the secret police were orchestrating a vicious campaign against his particular church family. And they did it in multiple ways. But one of the things, the church members were receiving anonymous letters, scandalous reports about maybe this person said that, and starting to stir up the congregation against each other. And even threats, life threats. Filled with hatred, accusations, all intended to instill fear and doubt and break down the fellowship, break down the church, get him to resign. The people were worried. The people were distressed and disturbed. And then he preached a sermon. It says this, I quote from Joseph, the Romanian pastor. It was then I understood the concept of the quarry. We are living stones. Didn't Peter say that? You're living stones. He's the one true stone. As living stones, you're chosen. I gave a sermon, he said, telling the people, we don't have enemies. These people are God's stone cutters. Chipping, shaping, scraping the rough edges so that we can fit together as God's temple, as God's holy people, God's dwelling place. They teach me patience, humility, forgiveness. How could I learn without these stone cutters? That's perspective. That's perspective. So as a believer, you have the opportunity to develop biblical perspective on suffering that is strong enough and sound enough to handle the brutality of life. The brutal reality of life down here in a fallen world. We live in a fallen world. This place is a place of pain and suffering. The destructiveness, the vanity, the erosion of suffering is only redeemable by one. The King of Kings, the Lord of glory, who went to the cross. Right? The cross of Christ, the shed blood of Christ, bring a redemption factor to all suffering. Otherwise, it's just plain suffering. And suffering doesn't play favorites. It's just plain loss. Without the Redeemer, without his restoration, without his hope, without his presence, it's just plain loss. Peter's perspective on suffering is seen and understood through this refining, redeeming, the renewing of Jesus Christ, the living hope that he offers. Otherwise, it's just plain suffering. It can certainly do some things to our character, and it will. But what's character if it's not Christ-like? It's arrogance. It's self-reliance. It's haughtiness. It's pride. 
In Christ, suffering produces gold and silver. In Christ, suffering leads to songs of deliverance. In Christ, suffering leads to praise and worship. I'm going to close. Not because I'm done. But because I don't want to... I don't want you to be overloaded like I was and have been. Let me give you just a couple of thoughts. An unbiblical idea. Here's some unbiblical, unrealistic expectations that need to be stripped away so that we have a biblical sound perspective on suffering. Christians always have happy marriages. Okay? That's a unsound, unbiblical perspective. Christians always have good health. You see how the folly of it is? Christians have good health if you take care of your health. There's a responsibility there. And sometimes, whether you take care of yourself or not, you're still going to have difficulties. Christians are always motivated to love, serve, pray, and read God's word. Come on, let's be real. We want to. We, we continue to grow. We struggle. Christians no longer struggle with sin, doubt, or fear. Christians feel pain less because Christ is with them. You don't weep when you lose a loved one. Christians feel deeply pain. And suffering, just as other people will. The presence of Christ can bring us through it, but does not necessarily shield us from the pain. Christians should not take medicine. Christians are safer, healthier, wealthier than non Christians. Christians do not worry get, or get discouraged. Wrong beliefs lead to wrong expectations. You might find yourself facing great disillusionment when your little Christian bubble is broken. Wrong beliefs about suffering can take normal struggles and make them that much worse because now you're not just faced with the normal suffering, but you're faced with the disillusionment that God has abandoned you. Close with this Final thought. I don't know how many exact years it was ago, many, many years ago, but when my wife and I were pregnant with one of our children, uh, there were some complications, and um, we kept thinking, you know, well, of course, we're good to go. We're Christians. God's going to watch over this. But when the miscarriage happened, it burst our little Christian bubble. In the sense that, what are we thinking? What are we thinking? What's a proper perspective? We live in, in a fallen world. We pray to a good, righteous, holy God. He's for us, not against us. He demonstrated his love for us in sending his son, Jesus. Let's get some perspective here. Now we can comfort others with the comfort we have ourselves have received through our suffering. So let's continue to grow as a church family in our perspective on suffering from biblical perspective of suffering. And we will finish the rest of these notes next time we gather. Let's stand together in prayer.
Father, we just thank you. And you have heard our hearts today and you've seen us on display and you examine our lives as we examine our lives and you examine us to display us, to sharpen us, to teach us, to humble us. And Lord God, we're just thankful for one another. We're thankful for the opportunity to grow together. We're thankful that we have a mutual desire to love and move forward. And yet, God, we are crippled up. We need your help at every turn. And we just acknowledge that we need you. We love you. We worship you. We give you praise and honor and your rightful place in our lives to lead us and guide us. And Father, as we ponder your word this week and we pray for one another, pray that you help us to continue to gain a biblical perspective so that we can be strong and steadfast, so that we can be humble and patient, so that we can be a shining for you, and so that we can give in testimony for the hope that we have, and our hope is in you. And the church said, Amen. Amen. We're dismissed.